Good evening, fans. Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam, and you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Whoa, boom shakalaka. My mom gave birth in 1985. I was within a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive. In the Cold War, my only blanket was Tetris. I played Rampart with Reagan, Rampage the world for breakfast. The laundry mat was my sanctuary. The arcade was my church. I thought I was grass. Okay, well, uh, it's the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast. Welcome, everybody. Matt, hi, how are you? I am doing fantastic for Wednesday. How are you, sir? For Wednesday is right. I'm exhausted. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm really tired. <laughs> you got in touch with me like half an hour ago. Uh, it wasn't even that long ago. It was like 15 minutes. You're like, are we, do you have any notes or anything? <laughs> no, I don't. I'm... That's fine. Completely fine. <laughs> hey, we've gone with worse and done much better. The The interview for the week is uh, recorded. It's a good one. My buddy, Matt Bradley Shirgi is on tonight. He's been on the uh, podcast a couple times. Uh, uh, tweets going around asking people what's the dumbest thing you ever got in trouble for in school and i i want to hear yours laughing at a food fight hands down (laughs) you're you're we were uh let's see that had to be that had to be fifth grade and there was i mean it was literally two individuals and one threw like a chicken nugget and the other one was held back from the previous year so he was slightly older and and gave less shits so (laughs) He threw like, I don't know, it was part of a hamburger. And then the other kids like, he like escalated. He got upset. So then he took like a, you know, little tray fries came in. Yeah. He had like that full of like half ketchup and he half heartily like, bah! and the older kid that didn't give any shits saw it coming and just slapped it out of the way and threw a hot dog. <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> so of course, like two full tables, it's like sixth grade kids are just like, bah, bah. So then they're like, well, this is what you guys get. You can either clean up the cafeteria for two weeks or you can serve two days of after school detention. I was like, for freaking laughing? Insane. Yeah, that's what it was. That was easily the dumbest thing I got that I can recall that quickly that I got in trouble for at school. How about yourself? Mine's weird and complicated. Are you ready? <laughs> yes, let's go. Um, so, okay. In, in first grade, you're what? Six years old. It's got to be six, no, no older than seven. At the You're six latest. going on seven generally. Yeah. yeah. So there I am. My six-year-old ass is sitting in the, the first <laughs> grade room, just minding my business, getting math problems wrong for no reason. And uh, one day the, the playground attendant comes in, just kicks the door in, hands a referral to the teacher, and it's for me. And I was very timid very quiet child Mm. who if anything i was like picked on and stuff and and it wasn't a great experience anyway so this mysterious referral to the principal's office comes for uh young todd and and so my ancient teacher goes like like it was a surprise to her she's like uh todd i guess you have to go to the principal's office and i'm like i'm sorry you're gonna have to explain to me what that even means (laughs) where is said principal's office right exactly i like i sort of stood up i'm like what's happening is it for something good (laughs) and she's like uh it says here you got in trouble for something at recess and i'm like and i lost my shit (laughs) i'm just a, a little tiny kid and i lost my shit immediately i'm like i didn't do anything what did i do i don't understand like i stood around jump roping and stuff like i was literally waiting in line to play tetherball or something like what do you, what could have possibly happened okay <laughs> so i get to the principal's office and two of the 
attendants or whatever, uh, office workers. I don't know who the hell they are because I'm not a bad kid and I'm not there <laughs> ever. So, so these mysterious adults are looking at documentation, kind of looking at each other like, uh, this doesn't seem right. I don't understand what's going on. And one's like, yeah, yeah, that's Todd. If that's Todd, he was playing Terminator 2 on the playground. And I said, what the f like, what is Terminator what? 2? <laughs> <laughs> I was six years old. Terminator 2 had just come out in like, what, 91 or 92, whatever was it was. I getting ready to IMDb it, actually, as you were talking. So. The, 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 I, I looked into all this because I was writing about it, oddly enough, and the, the timeline does check out, whatever year it was. Um, it was just about to hit VHS or something. It so, was 91. Congratulations. There you go, 91. <laughs> so I'm like, look, I don't know what that is. It doesn't sound like something I would do. <laughs> and, and I said... <laughs> And, and I'm six years old, but I'm like, also, <clears throat> is that directly against a rule here? Like, what rule do you have in the handbook about Terminator 2? Like, did, were you guys it's just only, written it's at a highly three, anticipated? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Terminator 1 came out. They're like, we got, we better put two in the handbook for next yeah, year because yeah. we, we can't have. What is it? Was he killing people? Was, some, <laughs> <laughs> was someone? I I didn't know what was going on. And I don't know how they got to the bottom of this, but there was a different Todd who was in like sixth mm. grade. And I guess this guy was time traveling and murdering people. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I, I tell you, I don't know how they solved this because I was fucking hysterical the entire time. I was sobbing because my parents were still together at this time. Right. And my dad was a weird guy. And this is this is somewhat well known. I've shared some stories and others I'm I'll probably tell in the future, but there were a couple of times my dad hauled off and beat the shit out of me with a belt. And go. I knew that like and they were talking about like you could get suspended for this. And they're telling a six year old like we might suspend you. And all I knew was like if I end up going home at one thirty, I don't know if I'm gonna make it back on my own tomorrow because someone's gonna beat the hell out of me at home. Yeah. So like, not only have I not done anything, but now my physical well-being is in danger. And so like, it's funny, but like, not really. It was insane. So I have no idea how they got to the bottom of this because I I couldn't get a sentence out. I'm gonna... <laughs> so I couldn't speak. They probably called my mom, and my mom was like, "You need to fucking take another look because this definitely didn't happen." Right. Or so I don't know, but. Somebody eventually walked in like, no, you idiots. It's the kid in sixth grade who has also been held back a few times and is, you know, did a stent in juvie or whatever. Or <laughs> I, I don't to this day, I have no idea what this kid actually did. Did he claim it's, to be a Terminator from the future? And somebody was like, no, we're not having that. It's I don't just know. It's so weird because I feel like we've done like on a normal average day around the playground doing your thing. Just because you're acting like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I mean, that could be on the mild end of things. <laughs> like, it's well, true. Why are like, you going to get suspended for this? Yeah, this school was such a hellhole. This was in Caseyville, which is ah. a low income, super depressing area where uh, it's on the, the edge of Washington Park, followed by mm -hmm. East St. Louis. Yes, sir. And it's it's just it's no man's land. Mm -hmm. um, so, <laughs> of course, we were Actually, there and had to walk to school. Kate. Uh, I'm wrong. There was some absorbment. So like Allerton was one of them. 
and Cahokia, I think, was one of them. But I thought Caseyville was one of them, too. So they just all combined it all, and now it's Allerton Heights or Cahokia Heights. I'm not even kidding. It's so I bizarre. wouldn't be a bit surprised if they eventually started busing kids out of Caseyville. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those kinds of, of places yeah. where I, it's just one of, like, four or five grade schools I went to. So when this tweet came out, this was the first thing I thought of, and I... <laughs> It's kind of funny, but also like, what the fuck was wrong with these adults? <laughs> Holy Especially shit. in the 90s. So much you could get away. Like, things were different. You know what I mean? Just in general, climate, atmosphere, politically, everything was different in the 90s. Yeah. And and to be fair, uh, not only was I in danger at home, they were still beating <laughs> the shit out of kids at school. Yeah. <laughs> so my kindergarten and first grade years, I think, I think they probably either changed the law or statewide said like, no, clearly this is insane. We're going to stop hitting kids with yes. shit. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but like, I remember my parents telling me like, Hey, we're just letting you know this forum says they can hit you. And I don't think we can even do anything about it. And so just don't, don't screw up. And so here I am <laughs> in, in for uh, something of which I am certainly not guilty. Um, <laughs> I think I saw Terminator two. It was in the last 10 years for the first yeah. time. <laughs> And I and I thought back like, this what part of this was that kid doing? <laughs> you know, which okay, so I don't remember. It had to be like the first or the second one because it would have been like ninety seven for me. We were at a friend's house and part of it was on. And I remember, I think he was like butt naked and part of it, like robbing a bike rider, and that's when he got like the leather vest and everything. That's right. Maybe that and was then, it. Maybe maybe it got real dark and lightning struck the playground and there was this kid naked. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that makes sense. I thought like, about the only other piece I can remember offhand, because I've only seen them maybe once and it was years ago, was they were running somewhere and the person he was with was like, they needed to make a phone call on a payphone, if anybody knows what that is. Yeah. And uh, he looks at the payphone because he didn't have a quarter and Arnold just goes, whack, <laughs> and all the quarters fall out. <laughs> he puts it in. Yeah, that's it, all I remember. I don't know. It is an awesome series with a lot of very funny moments until you're being accused of them in public. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, if, if the kid was naked, send him home for sure. <sighs> anyway, I thought that'd be a fun little opener. It was. Yeah. Um, are you are you playing Back for Blood tonight or whatever it we is? We are. I think uh, Jimmy's actually even going to be on. Billiam is going to be on. Old nice. Bill, not Little Bill. And yeah. uh <laughs> Yeah, I think we're going to try it out. I haven't touched it yet. People are saying it's, I mean, they've even advertised it this way. So it's not like they're making these intense connections, but creators of Left 4 Dead made this and it's supposed to be like that rescanned newer. And yeah. I had a blast on that game. Never really gave it a fair, super great chance because like in the Xbox 360 days, like multiplayer wasn't as stable as it is now for most things. True. You had to work off somebody else's host most of the time. And that was, you know. But, Middle uh, Ages of broadband stuff. So, yeah, it it sounds cool. Like I I'll play it for sure, and I want to. I don't know if there's any like ongoing progression for players or whatever. So yeah, I'll try to check it out soon so that I don't fall uh, too far behind. But yeah, this week I've been trying Hot Wheels Unleashed. I think it only came out the other day, yeah. but I grabbed Hot Wheels Unleashed because I thought Will's probably really gonna like this. Oh yeah. And so <laughs> it's it's a big game and it was more expensive than I expected to be. Uh, it was the full 50 bucks, mm. not quite the full 60. But um, so it looks like there's a lot of content. It's got good reviews, but I'm I'm surprised at how complicated it is. Like it races kind of like Need for Speed, 
uh, not quite that complex, but it's yeah. a sort of advanced control system. Uh, not advanced control system, but like to do it well, yeah. I feel like you need to be older than certainly well, older than my kid, yeah. but maybe into your teens to really yeah. appreciate the the drifting and boosting and everything yeah. and uh, respawning when you fly off the track. Uh, you collect cars, which, of course, you know, it's a hot just like the game. old school game. Yeah. But I'm I'm kind of worried it's more for like the weird adult collectors than it is for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> and having worked at Toys R Us with the weird adult collectors, oh I'm very sensitive to this and I'm getting a whiff of that crazy and I don't appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> so there was uh, I played one of these on PlayStation one forever. Ago. I believe it was just called Hot Wheels and some of the most fun I've ever had to this day on a game, just hunting those cars down, doing the tracks flipping and rolling and all the different combos and that was back in the day when uh you could put a playstation cd and i'm sorry the playstation disc in a cd player and get the uh soundtrack off of the game those were the days metallica's fuel was on there and that was a banger <laughs> oh man that is a good one yeah. i uh i can't prove this but i think that's kind of what they were going for with this i didn't hear a lot of marketing about this uh, they don't say that much in the ads. Like they take out a lot of those thumbnail ads on the Xbox mm. home screen and stuff. Yeah. But I think they're maybe going for a little bit of that. Like anybody who knew about the old PlayStation game, Hey, there's a new hot wheels game, dot, dot, dot. You better just buy it and see. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to hold up for people who uh, played the, the PlayStation one. So I didn't know I didn't if there's anything in between either. I mean, that was PlayStation one to now. So I don't, I don't know. So that's what I've been doing. Uh, the I guess the takeaway is I'm I don't really know if Will's even gonna like it. So I I dropped for a, a new release, which I don't normally do, because uh, I'm not a reviewer or anything. But right. <laughs> I did this time. I thought like racing games. I like to race, and he likes to race, and it'll be great. I think yeah. I'm on my own for this one for a while. Yes. I'm interested for this back for blood. Just you know, it's a Game Pass day one release type of thing. So that doesn't happen often for bigger titles so i'm i'm in we're yeah. gonna see tonight yeah I'm, I'm curious about that one also i need to uh, go ahead and install it for later it was 22 shouldn't be too bad 22 gigs something like that yeah i feel like everything is about 22 gigs now yeah <laughs> except for call of duty which is about 500 <laughs> yeah yeah this episode is brought to you in part by mudstack Mudstack is the only asset management and collaboration platform custom built for game studios and digital artists. If you're an artist or your team works with artists, you might need more than the old school source control that only handles code and config files. You need a solution built for you. Mudstack is a digital asset management, version control, and review platform custom built for artists and game studios. Handle all your game assets from concept to completion, group and tag your assets, do easy visual comparisons, approve work, switch between iterations, and more. Soon you'll be able to customize pipelines and take advantage of simple plugin integration with Unity and Unreal. These guys understand game development and they want to help you stay focused on what matters. Level up your game art and your art game with Mudstack. Get started for free in just a few minutes at Mudstack.com. Welcome Mudstack. Big thanks for sponsoring the show. Well, uh, let's go ahead and set up our interview and I'll uh, get you back to your night. Tonight we're hearing from Matt Bradley Shurgy, who has been on the show. I think this is number three, maybe, for him. Uh, but <laughs> that's okay, because Matt does about 10 projects a year, and so we had about 20 things to talk about since the last time we spoke, probably last year. His 
new interview book is out. He uh, did a game. I'll let him explain because there's a fascinating story behind that also. And then we uh, we talk about some of the freelance writing. He just made the pages of Polygon for the first time, which is a big deal for uh, freelance writers. I've not managed that. So he uh, I, I like talking to uh, industry writers. What can I say? I, I met him in the freelancing game and we've been friends ever since. So uh, hang out and uh, hear from Matt. All right. Well, Matt, thanks for uh, joining again. How you doing? Sure. Good. Good. It's been a while. What's going on? It has been too long. I've, I was trying to place chronologically the last time you were on the show. So I can't quite recall if your book had quite come out yet or not. Your interview book? Yeah, the interview book had come out pretty recently. I'd like to think it was uh, last year, maybe, if not, maybe earlier this year. But yeah, I remember I recorded it in this new house I've been in for about two years. So uh, the first time I was scrunched over a teeny desk. <laughs> you were, I felt terrible. <laughs> you were you were precariously perched. <laughs> yeah, no, there was little <laughs> to work with. I do have one friend who will hold his microphone for his, his uh, video stuff, which I feel terrible for him. Yeah, I don't know if I could do it for that long. My hands would just fall asleep. But we, um, yeah, I've seen video of people recording shows in hotels and they get under the blankets of the hotel bed. And That probably sounds great, mm-hmm. honestly. <laughs> it probably does. Yeah, no, we, we recorded voiceover for my mobile game, my wife and I both, uh, inside a walk-in closet that we had at our old house. And just surrounded by shirts. And it sounded wonderful, you know? Yeah. How are people liking the interview book? Let's start with that. I always read the reviews and people say not to read the reviews or, you know, the, there's the all the phrases like, oh, the, the good reviews, there's not enough. And the bad reviews, there's too many. <laughs> um, and some of the feedback I got was like, it's childish and amateurish. And I did the <laughs> interviews when I was uh, 21 or 22 yeah. Uh, to be fair, but I don't think it's unreadable. I'm sure there's a lot of grammar stuff I'm embarrassed about, even though I did four different passes on it. But no, you know, I'm happy I did it. I also, you know, it's it's led to certain things. I'm going to be doing um, some guest lecturing at where I went to college, uh, Savannah College Art and Design, Ooh. at their game design program, which is a lot different now than when I was there. Yeah. Um, so, so that's sort of fun. So I gave them a copy of the book. I think one of my favorite feedback was from uh, Jess Morissette. Do you know who he is? Uh, that he, sounds familiar. Who's he? He's the video game soda project guy. He has oh. a web... He was on, I think, like NPR and uh, maybe New York Times even did something on him, but he has a website that just points out pictures every time a video game has a soda machine. <laughs> um, it, it, he's also a professor um, on the somewhere in the East Coast, I believe, and... He he gave me a good blurb for my book, but he also is a professor and said, you know, this could be used as a college book. Like, that was one of my favorite comments I've heard about it. That reminds me of Ian Bogost, who is also a, mm-hmm. a university lecturer, and his sort of claim to fame online is uh, taking the is a hot dog, a sandwich debate and uh, stretching it out for like six years now. Oh, OK. He's that person. Yeah. I mean, that, that one you hear all over the place. Uh, the other thing Jess Morissette did, um, he was involved in the creation of a game it was a love letter to the old king's quest games and it's called stair quest and it's 10 screens long all you do is go up increasingly difficult stairs <laughs> and you control with the keyboard i was interviewing uh, uh ken williams i sent you know, that clip i did on my podcast 
And before I did that, I sent him a copy of this guy's StairQuest game, and he was looking at some of the videos, and he he really approved it, which I thought was kind of neat. He hadn't heard of it before. Uh, not that I expected him to, but... Um, the uh, the Ken Williams thing was definitely on my list to talk about, because I, I was so impressed you got him to uh, sit in for the podcast, and it was fun to listen to. Like, I, I got to oh, listen to it pretty much right away. It was a, a nice... Uh, short and sweet interview, but it was it was yeah. good. And honestly, I hadn't I've read interviews with him in two or three books now, and had never heard him speak. Like he comes off a lot more approachable when he's you know yes. <laughs> when he's live. It seems like the no, the books. Remember, no, sorry, yeah, his his memoirs. Uh, what is it called? Not all fairy tales have a happy ending, or something like that. Is mm-hmm. is you you reached out to me? I think you bought the book right when it came out, and was was we were sharing some bits from it back and forth, and. Yeah, in the book I think comes off as like intense. Not like not that he comes off as like mean, but just he uh when he as a boss, he just wants people to work a lot. Yeah. There was a certain defensive tone, I think. Mm-hmm. Um is is probably not even uh I don't even say that in a mean way, but I think he wanted to write that book as a means of like a lot of people have tried to tell my story and I'm sure yes. <laughs> It's even more personal because he works with his wife and has for for many, many years now and wanted to say, like, well, if you guys are going to guess at, you know, our our perspective and our intentions, let me at least tell the story. So it went straight to Kindle Unlimited and it's still there. So I got to read it like right, right away. And um, it was it was fascinating there. I Mm -hmm. like I told you, like, I, I don't love everything he's said and done, but I don't I don't think he expects anyone to. So it was interesting to get his perspective on it, you know. Well, it wasn't the thing that influenced me to interview him to begin with. I mean, it, for uh, listeners that might not know, I, my main podcast is SequelCast 2 and Friends at SequelCast2.com. The main show is about movies, but we have a spinoff show uh, on the same feed about um, the old Sierra games. We've only done like the first seven. Uh, they called them high-res adventures of all things at the time, but they were text-based with still images and um, not black and white. It was slightly color, but pretty crude by today's standards. Um, but, uh, I'm part of a, a Facebook, um, kind of ongoing group chat. I, I guess that's what you'd call it. Uh, and people go back and forth and one guy was trying to get, talk to Ken Williams, but it was going to be about his new game. And then he mentioned, oh, it couldn't go through because the new game's not finished. They don't want to talk about it until it's coming out. And I thought, well, my podcast is in the old stuff. I shot Ken Williams, some of the articles I did in hardcore gaming 101 about this era stuff. He might be open and like always, you know, when you book interviews and stuff, it takes time, but eventually yeah. we're able to get something to, to go, even though it was like eight in the morning during a weekday. Hmm. Um, it was before I, I started work, but he uh, uh, seems to be an early riser too. And the, my co-host Thrasher, uh, they are uh, on the East Coast, so it's not as, as uh, bad a thing for them to get up so early. Or, you know, it's 11 o'clock, but it's eight o'clock over here. So, Yeah. And he was well, actively getting messages throughout the. Oh, <laughs> like, oh sure. yeah, yeah. He, he hears a thing going off. Part. He's like, "Sorry, I'll I'll shut this off." I'm like, right. that he dude saying, gets up and goes at it. <laughs> he does. He does, and he has all the the slack stuff going on. And he's been out of the game for a bit. It's cool. He's coming out with something. He's self financing it, and uh, it seems like it's going to be an adventure game. But they haven't said they're keeping a lot of it a secret. I think pretty smartly. Yeah. Because um, once it's all done, you know, you can market it however you want. It's it's super difficult to do. Uh, I've tried to do this too. I've tried to do like retro 
styles and retro designs in modern engines. Yeah. That's not a, yep. an easy thing by any stretch. It's almost easier to learn, you know, the basics of 3D and try to make yourself a, you know, Mario style 3D platformer or whatever. Unity's made for that. If you want to do like point and click 2D, like you can certainly do that too, but it's not always as simple as you might think, you know? No, I think you're better off doing, like, I don't think you need to reinvent the wheel every time. There's a lot of freeware tools for the retro stuff. There's something called Adventure Game Studio that's been out for years that people have used mm -hmm. to come out point and click adventures. Um, now there's something called Game Maker. It might be called something different now that's been out for a while. And way it's back like Game when Maker I was a kid, Studio 2 or the Game something. Maker Studio, right? I think, yeah, that's what it is now. But yeah. uh, the one, I mean, the first time I saw a game making program as a kid was in Nintendo Power, and it was for the Japanese only uh famicom version of rpg maker oh yeah mm -hmm. and the show pictures of it and it never came to the states but i'm like i you know i love playing all the final fantasy stuff and this looks cool and i got it the i got it when it came out in the u.s on consoles on playstation one and it's practically unplayable to <laughs> do things with the jabby uh directional controls and buttons on the ps1 controller is ludicrous you need a computer with a mouse and keyboard and to actually make progress with it. But um, in a lot of ways, it's not that different from the current version of RPG Maker MZ. That program hasn't changed a lot with the core functionality. It's changed little things, but it's drag and drop. And uh, I think it's a great way for people like me to get into game design, indie game design, who aren't that good at the uh, programming part. You got to get into the actual development side through uh, RPG Maker early on, and you've kind of kept yeah. up with it. So, I mean, you're kind of a, have, kind of a guru of sorts now. Uh, yeah, I suppose. I mean, YouTube is such a great tool. YouTube only came out, I think, in 2005, which is when I graduated college. Mm -hmm. And had it come out when I was in college, my grades would have been a lot worse because I would have been watching YouTube <laughs> all day. But uh, to me, I'm a very visual learner. So like a YouTube video for things is a much easier way to learn these programs. And there's so much out there. Yeah. So it, you, you barely have to go to Reddit or things anymore to find specific problems to issues or go to Stack Overflow or message boards, news groups, all that old stuff. All of that. Yeah. You just have to kind of decide where you like to get your stuff and you can almost get anything mm -hmm. you, you want. Um, I also graduated in 2005, oddly enough. Um, although oh. I did a, a two year program at a tech school, I think the closest thing I had gotten to that kind of distraction was um, you could get the free version of 3D, 3D Studio Max at that time yeah. and you could That's learn right. in it. And I was obsessed with that for some time. And but then at some point you go like, OK, either I can get a job with it or it costs like it was super sure. insanely expensive even back then. So the game design stuff, so much of it was just uh, Unreal Tournament, like 2003 level editor. Oh yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Some some 3D Studio Max, which I was I'm terrible at the 3D graphics. I got, got like a D in that course, um, and then uh, like Macromedia Flash, Macromedia Director stuff that isn't even around anymore. But that's technology. Like it moves really really fast. And got to pour one out for all the old uh, Flash developers who have lost their apps now, and and all the stuff is gone. The skill set's gone. The time you spent's gone. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> you know. I mean, before YouTube, that's how you watch like cartoons or little clips or whatever. It was Flash. Right. Yeah, I had to make some games for my class, and one was like based off. It was all based off of movies, and one was based off Back to the Future. One was based off Lord of the Rings. It was, um, but they're almost like WarioWare mini game stuff. Nice. And um, my games was like one of the only games in the class that had music and sound effects. Most people had neither, which struck me as very odd <laughs> to see someone 
uh, demo a game and it's complete silence when they're clicking on the mouse, you really notice the sound of the mouse clicking. <laughs> but I made like a one hour documentary where I filmed my friends and I getting drunk and playing Nintendo games. And it's just this, this kind of raucous sort of uh, competition between two teams. I think it was maybe 10 people there filmed in my mom's basement, uh, intercut with clips of the games and, and crazy music and stuff um, that, of course, I didn't have the rights to. But um, I'll try and put that on YouTube, I think, and we'll see. Speaking of uh, offbeat projects and RPG Maker. <laughs> yes. How's how's the RPG going? Um, we we weren't really talking about that one yet, so uh, let me have you sort of introduce that project for listeners. Right, yeah. So um, my first book was Films of Uwe Boll, Volume 1, The Video Game Movies, and I got to interview Uwe Boll, not for the book, but for a panel I did about his movies at um, Portland Retro Game Expo. Oh, it was 2019, I think. Mm-hmm. So when I did that, um, his uh, producer, uh, Gary Otto, reached out to me and noticed on Twitter, I, I mentioned I had a game design degree. And he said, oh, Matt, you can make games. Would you like to do a Uwe Boll game for us? And I just sort of paused. And my first gut feeling was to say no, because I, I didn't think I knew that much. And I had only come out with one indie game before that was like a, a text adventure um, called Frankenstein's Bastard Daughter. Um, <laughs> and... And but the other thing, but then part of me paused and I thought of that dumb Jim Carrey movie, Yes Man. <laughs> and it's like, at least there'll be a good story to come out of this, even if it all goes to hell. At least I can say I was offered to do something based on this uh, uh, crazy guy's movies. So I said yes. And it took a little bit over two years and we submitted some, the, the game was called Uwe Bull raw. Cause that's the name of his YouTube show, which is now a podcast. I believe uh, it's called Uwe Bull raw presents president evil is the full title. And it's an adaptation of an unproduced Uwe Bull script that he originally had on Kickstarter under the title, a retarded wizard in the forest. Wow. Yeah. That um, it didn't raise funds to do that movie, but it was something along the lines of Postal, but it contained um, Uwe Boll IP that wasn't based on video games. And it also had political satire and was kind of broad with some of the humor. Okay, support for Game Dev Breakdown is brought to you by Manscaped, who offers absolute best-in-class male grooming products, or as they like to say... Precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation grooming trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0, and they sent us each their luxury grooming kit, the Performance Package 4.0, featuring the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, and more. The one to get. This is the premier. This is, as my father-in-law would say, deluxe. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt about it. Everything you've ever wanted in a product, simple to the point, USB-C charging, love it. The lawnmower speaks for itself. They didn't make four different ones to let you down, friends. Let's just say that. You or someone you care about can join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code GAMEDEV at manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code GAMEDEV. Unlock your confidence with the new Lawnmower 4.0 from Manscaped.
been talking to me about this project for a while. Um, mm-hmm. You probably wisely didn't want too much of it to be discussed for a while while there was a lot of question about sure. when's this actually going to be done? Where is it going to go? Mm-hmm. Not many people get to work with those guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I was sort of surprised. And um, one thing I always like to do when I'm starting on a larger project, and it's always uh, helped me to do it, is to do a quick proof of concept, Hmm. meaning I use whatever engine I'm doing. In this case, it was the RPG Maker and kind of did the first scene of of the, the movie in this case. And I was able to slap something together that they were happy with, and we were able to go... Uh, from there, I mean, I so you're you're talking about adapting two forms, which I was familiar with, video games and film. But I mean, in this case, you have a screenplay, and then you have a game, and what's interactive and what's not. And I I had I couldn't change the dialogue at all. That was part of it. Um, there's some incidental stuff that I could change, and that we added. I think that helped it a lot. Um, but so, like originally you have these little dungeons in there and we added people and just kind of these non secretaries for them to say, but originally they weren't there and it just kind of felt sort of empty. And I think the idea to Adam was sort of influenced by earthbound. Uh, Gary had that idea. I thought that was a good one. I know that RPG maker is like super capable at this point, but I think one of the problems with engines like that is they start to get so specific in their own style, if that kind of makes sense, especially RPG yeah. Maker. I've played with it a little bit before, and it almost start, starts to take a certain form. And I'm sure it was difficult for you to kind of fit that script into it at times. Is that you know what I'm yes. saying? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was difficult because in a movie, um, although you're watching a film as a two dimensional image, you have like three dimensions. People can run around, or if it's like a Metal Gear Solid game, people can hide behind boxes and stuff. But really, you're doing this old fashioned Final Fantasy thing. You have kind of a it's not quite a bird's eye view, but let's just call it that for convenience sake. The guys on the screen can move up, down, left, or right. They can jump. They can look left and right really quick. They can make their eyes bug out. And that's about it. And so much of the game is cut scenes. And I would argue it probably needed more uh, dungeons in there, more, more gameplay to break up some of the many non-interactive sequences. And... It was really tricky. I think the one scene in there that's the most successful that everyone seems to like the most is the scene in the grocery store. <laughs> Did you see that one where, yeah. where the the main character Bill Williamson, who's the character of uh, from the the Uvibles Rampage trilogy, um, not related to the Rampage video game, <laughs> so I think the name is is kind of confusing, yeah. potentially. Um, and the whole the main character and his wife and his two kids are in the grocery store, and then he sees a hot blonde trying to open a jar of pickles, and she pours milk on herself, and then his wife uh, leaves him. It's a ridiculous scene, and to do that in the game, I think, was really hard because when you're uh, they so any cut scene, any non-interactive thing, is called an event editor. And you're basically going line by line saying person A moves all these places. He does this and person B moves this. But in that version of RPG Maker and all the versions leading up to that, you can't see a preview of where the people move until you do a, a build of the game and run it. And in, uh, I haven't used the latest version, but in RPG Maker MZ, you can actually preview that in the editor. And mm-hmm. that's important because if two characters 
uh, collide, if you add one extra step that goes into a uh, a certain kind of object, the, the game crashes. So you're making this crazy like dance of all these or puppet play or something with all these characters moving around. And you're trying to avoid collisions and you're trying to, even though it's all squares, uh, it's difficult to keep track in your head. Did you have to kind of move past the the editor stuff at all and sort of jump into the scripting for some of the stuff that happened? Because I was kind of wondering that as I was watching. Not really. I, d- I mean, there was a few things. I used a few plugins, which they're uh, credited in the credit to the game. I can't remember the plugins at this point, but... One had to do with the the title screen of all things, mm. making it have a credit page that required a plug-in. You think that would be built into the game? Um, yeah, there might have been some some plug-in relating to the audio. I don't quite remember because you can make PC and Mac versions, and they all require different audio files. Audio for these um, these prepackaged engines can be another thing that's more time consuming than one expects because keeping things organized and associated with the right content, uh, it's, it's difficult to organize in your mind and in the editor. Getting the game to play the music. That's not the hard part, but like I replaced the music in that three or four different times. I originally used, uh, there's a website called Incompetech where all the music is under creative. Yeah. Kevin McLeod, a lot of good stuff. So I, I was using that initially. And then we thought um, a friend of Gary's was a musician who did this cool kind of, uh, I don't know, I'll use the term techno, but there's some better term for it. But this kind of music that um, I think we might have had in some of the, the early trailers or something that were, that I think worked pretty neat. It was made it feel really different with that music and those 16-bit style graphics. And um, we couldn't get that working. So then we went back to the um, just the plain music that ships with RPG Maker, which was mm. kind of a disappointment. But at the same, it's all like a, in film, they call it spotting, but you're putting the music to sign where it goes. Does it make sense for the emotion of the scene? And especially since this doesn't have voice acting, it doesn't have much sound effects. It comes down to what music makes sense. Mm. And I had fun doing that, but I also went kind of crazy doing it because you start to forget what scene goes in what order because kind of like with Unity or something, all the maps I have disorganized in a little folder thing on the left. And I'm yeah. trying to remember which one connects to what, and I don't want to reuse the same music a lot. It's it's true. Um, when I shipped my first game, I kept a notepad file on my desktop open at Smart. all times. And I was yeah. scribbling. Last thing before I got up was scribbling, whatever. There was a, a big, long to-do list. And I've I've tried a lot of productivity tools, but I don't think anything beat that fast notepad file I had that was just like a, a line by line thing. Do this, do this, yeah. do this. Here's where I was when I left off and I can come back and, you know, sometimes you get pulled away and you absolutely can't do it. You lose some work, you lose your train of thought. But that turned out to be very helpful for me. And uh, graph paper has really been the glue of the entire game industry for 30 or 40 years. I mean, they used to use it for their, their pixel art on the old computer screens. Yep. Cause it translated well, we still use it in design, uh, long live graph paper. I say, I mean, I can't believe that one of the, uh, GDCs, Shigeru Miyamoto did a talk on Mario and they brought the original graph paper with them that they drew some of the Mario and Luigi and Bowser pixels Ooh. on. And it's I like, wouldn't you, that. 
why not bring a just use JPEGs? Why bring the original from Tokyo to uh, San Francisco? And uh, graph paper, you can tear it pretty easy. I don't think it true. keeps well. No, it, it does but, not hold up they, well. That should be in the yeah. museum. But that they did all that right. I agree. It should be like Indiana Jones. It should be in a museum. Yeah. So, but is the game available for people to get to now? I mean, uh, I'm not. It's, I'm not sure. It's I knew not. That. Right. Um, it's not right now. It depends on a few things. Hmm. So there's more to come. Um, the commentary video I will put up on, on YouTube. That should be fine. I just haven't, um, just haven't done it yet for whatever reason, but I think it, it turned out fine and it's, I streamed it and some people watched it. So it's good for people to see. So I'll have that as a link I can send you. I'm, I'm sure it's not super easy to get a hold of these guys for every little thing. So I'm sure there's some sort of back and forth, right? Mm -hmm. It looks like it went better for you than I might've guessed. I mean, you guys did get oh, really? to the finish line. Well, you yeah, know, yeah, it, it did get pessimistic. That's true. I mean, there are some <laughs> points where it, it got, you know, pretty stressful to say the least. And I mean, there was communication originally it was through Gmail and then it switched to um, a chat program. And in the chat program, it made it a lot easier um, simply because your messages almost need to be a lot shorter. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of get to the point. And it's not like every chat or email is just about the game, but a lot of it was. But in an email, it might be mixed in between, I don't know, five pages of emails about the Hellraiser movies. Like it makes it <laughs> difficult to track stuff down. So in a chat, you can scroll through and find the information that you want. Uh, and, and yeah, sometimes the communication can be slower, but I mean, all the game was, was Gary and I pretty much, and Uwe Boll looked at it some, but I can't say I've, I've emailed him once or twice, but it was about um, other stuff. It was about, he kind of like mechanics of um, some other stuff we can't get into, but, but when regarding the game, you know, he gave us uh, our blessing to to work on it and stuff, which was, which was neat. And I was just amazed at all the changes we kind of did last second because I think those are some of the best things we did with the game. The uh, the last twenty percent is the the best eighty percent is is what they say you know yeah and, and the hardest yeah. and you know all, all those things so I mean the the pessimism is the the Upwork freelancer in me who came into uh, game development work dealing with just random strangers trying to do anything they could dream up and anybody who's looked into that sort of work knows what I'm talking about. Like most of those projects crash and burn. So in that yeah. way, like, um, you guys, you guys aren't close by you. You're not on the same schedules. Like I would have been very apprehensive. So to see it done is, uh, you know, not bad. No, thanks. It, it felt like a big accomplishment. I mean, it, it's like it when you're, writing a book too at the end like it's like in the rocky movies with the montage he's going up the steps like you just get this boost of energy that i also get when i start a project and it's that kind of middle where things sometimes tend to sag or you go i'd rather play yakuza 2 right now instead of work on this or or whatever you're yeah. doing so it's it, writing and game design and anything i think that that's worth it is really a discipline and you have to make time for it and if you can work a, something in your schedule where it's a consistent time uh that that helps yeah and speaking of not giving up you uh you got yourself into the um hall of famer status by getting onto polygon recently oh oh thanks yeah 
I mean, Polygon is an outlet I've pitched to for several years. And um, on Twitter, their, one of their editors said, hey, I'm looking for articles about these three kind of topics. And I, I pitched them. Some, one of them was retro. And I'm like, oh, that's my, my, uh, my wheelhouse. I can do that. So I pitched them this Final Fantasy piece. And I was floored that they liked it. And uh, the deadline was pretty tight. And, but it was a while since I had written for someone where there was so much back and forth. But I think it would. I think it was good at the end. It pushed me to make it something different than it was in the beginning, but it also resulted in a better article. And uh, I knew it was going to be a piece that was going to get. I think there's like 50 or 60 comments on there, and some of the comments in the Twitter stuff is is ridiculous. But I was smart enough to read the comments, but not reply back. Mm. <laughs> because it's easy to get into those flame wars, is what they used to call them. I don't know what they call them now, but it was. Uh, and for those that don't know, it's an article about, um, I think the headline they went with is something like Final Fantasy 1 shouldn't be remade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was about Final Fantasy 1 Pixel Remaster. And I kind of talk about, I mean, some of it's sort of like a memoir talking about growing up with Final Fantasy. And I, I think it's just how when you remake stuff and change it so much, it just doesn't resemble what the original is. Yeah. And I, I just, at the beginning, I was making some kind of comparisons to like, the, the George Lucas special editions and the original ones not being available. And I think that's kind of ap- uh, applicable, but it's also um, not because the movies and movies in a video game is a video game. You know, you could change Star Wars, but you know, you're going to sit down and watch it and it might be two hours of your time and that's it. Yeah. But, but a video game, the, the original NES versions are so damn hard uh, of the Final Fantasy games. You know, that'll take 50, 60 hours. In the newer version, you can beat it like in. 10 or 20 mm-hmm. and part of it, you can go through the battles quicker, but also they just made it like really, really easy in comparison. Yeah. And I mean, we, we talk every once in a while about, you know, things we really admire, things that have sort of meant a lot to us around the web sites and podcasts and stuff like that. Uh, and for me, Polygon is definitely one, like, uh, especially since I started like freelance writing around the web. Um, I've, I've pitched them once or twice, but that's not really enough to probably get on Polygon's radar. Um, you know, I, I know they're inundated with stuff and I haven't really yeah. taken a run at it like you have. And uh, I was impressed that you stuck with it and got on the site. And I, that would have been a lot of pressure for me to get commissioned for something I really like and be greenlit to write something that kind of introspective in a way, like the, the sites I've gotten to write for, uh, have not really been anything like that closest was probably the, uh, Clarissa explains it all thing. That was, that was a little bit of a risk, (laughs) a little bit of a gamble for people's attention, but, um, to, to really tell a, you know, formative year story, uh, on such a site like that. I mean, good for you. You know? Oh, Oh, thanks. It was, I think what struck me the most, not about writing it, but reading the comments is I could, I think I could pretty well guess people's age based on what their reaction to it. Because <laughs> some people is like, and I'm, I'm not quoting directly, but some people are paraphrasing. People said like, oh, Matt's totally right. Other people were like, well, what is he talking about? He didn't mention uh, in this part of the game, the magic spell costs 20 coins instead of 30. And it's like, no matter what you write, people are going to say, oh, you missed something. Oh, you did this. Oh, you didn't. And I was glad I had that history of... Um, reading and writing shit on the internet for my whole life and knew what comments were and stuff. Like if I was, I don't know, a kid and had something like this published, I would have 
replied to every single comment, been super serious about it, would have been upset all day. Someone said this or upset all month about it. And I think being older, I have some more uh, maturity about it. Although, I mean, you know, with my Twitter, sometimes it gets a bit silly or intense or it's a, uh, but I don't know. I think Twitter is a nastier place than the Polygon comment section. It's hard to know what to expect either place, honestly. Um, when we were, uh, a bunch of us were writing for Zam back in the day, like those comments were all over the place, as you can well imagine. It was the same kind of thing on a smaller scale. But uh, like when I did that uh, Clarissa Explains It All thing that kind of took off and they uh, picked it up on Kotaku and and it just, it was, mm -hmm. I ended up talking to the show creator and stuff. Like it was very cool overall. Oh, wow. But yeah. uh, somebody in the comments sort of did that same thing and was like, well, this is kind of short-sighted because... Uh, Kel Mitchell from like the Keenan and Kel days uh, also did mm -hmm. a show about game development where he was a rich guy and he opened this studio where these little kids made these games and stuff. And so you can't really say there hasn't been anything like this since then. And I read that and I went, one, what is this person talking about? I've never heard of this. And uh, when I went to look it up, they were absolutely right, actually. <laughs> like like you said, like sometimes there is some value to those comments, but like I didn't know none of the editors who looked at that knew. Uh, none of the other people in that sphere knew. It, it kind of is what it is. Like we're all doing the best we can. You know? <laughs> That's right. about I all mean, we can that, say. With that Polygon piece, I think one of the, it reminds me one of the uh, reactions I got to it that was most surprising was I went on uh, a Discord and reached out to, there's a, a group that mainly does Final Fantasy mods. And I, I posted a link to my piece in their Discord and got some good feedback. And then one of them sent me a, a message and said, oh, you know, um, it's a good thing you published this when you did because the very next week after your article came out, we made a mod for the game that made it just as difficult as the Nintendo version to all these changes. Ooh. And it's like, I never would have thought to look uh, at mods for the article. I think I was more focused on writing the game as it was in its official release. But that kind of led me into this rabbit hole. And I've been doing uh, some mods for the um, final fantasy pixel remastered, including this current one. That's this weird uh, translation with Google translate <laughs> going from English back and forth between different languages, both Asian and not to try and make a fake slightly gibberish, bad translation because I have a soft spot for renting all those dumb uh, SNES RPGs as a kid and just coming across these bizarre sentences. The the examples you sent me were fantastic. So I, I got the idea right away and I was mm -hmm. <laughs> very uh, enthusiastic about that. Like, I like that this led you to sort of the, uh, the mod underground as it were um, mm -hmm. for one thing. Cause I, I think there's definitely another pitch in there soon uh, sure. <laughs> after That's you've, dug around and, and done some work there. Like that's, that's something that happened to me also. Like I said, like I dug into the homebrew scene after that and wrote one of my favorite features I ever got to write about, like uh, talk to somebody who worked on GoldenEye X where they tried to port GoldenEye to the perfect dark oh, engine. Yeah. That was a fun one. And uh, somebody who made a Nintendo game and like narrowly avoided a, a Tetris lawsuit or something like there was a bunch of fun little stuff there. And, uh, you know, Steamworks and everything like mod mod scenes pop up fast now, you know, and it's it's a little bit different than the old message board days. Definitely. I mean, one of the Final Fantasy mods that impressed me the most is. Um, oh, what's the guy's last name? Uh, there's a website called Legends of Localizations. 
run by Clyde, uh, I forget his name, um, the last name, but uh, anyhow, he talks on there about Final Fantasy IV, which came out originally in the U.S. as Final Fantasy II on the SNES, has had so many tr- translations into English, and he kind of goes and compares all these different translations. And this uh, version in the Final Fantasy uh, Pixel Remasters of Final Fantasy IV uses an older translation. It uses the Game Boy translation instead of the DS version that has more medieval language. Some people consider it a superior translation. And the game wasn't even out for like a week before someone had a mod. Oh, you can replace all the text in the game with the DS translation. That's and like cool. that, that A, the, the mods are, are good, but B, that it happened so quickly. It's, it's just like the fan subs with the anime. Like I can't fathom how quickly some of these people do this stuff. I'm I'm blown away by it, and it it doesn't get nearly enough attention, which is why I think it's always rife for uh, you know new articles and new features sure. and stuff. Um, that's super cool. I feel like you write like two books a year, so I'm kind of curious what's next. Yeah, um, so I just came out with the short fiction collection called "Here's Mud in Your Eye" and other short stories hmm. uh, through uh, Moon Books Publishing, the small press I've been using. Um, I'm working on a few things at once. I I really need to sit down and do the Uwe Boll films, volume two and three. I just needed a bit of a break. Yeah. Uh, so there's those. And in addition, I'm, I'm doing something about, um, I did a podcast book not that long ago, and I'm doing one along those lines about uh, Twitch streaming. Oh, nice. It, it's not quite a how-to book with a bunch of pictures, but it's sort of more, I think it's to more of a general audience. And it started with me talking to my publisher, where he's like, oh, he was trying to get into streaming. He's like, Matt, do you know anyone that can do this? And I said, well, I can do it. And why don't you have me write a book about it? And he's like, okay. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> with, with, small, with small press publishers, like it's it can be that easy. And I'm also tr- looking for some bigger projects for some um, bigger publishers, like for something you might see in a bookstore. So, we'll see. I always got way too much on my plate. Yeah, but I'd rather I'd rather keep busy than have nothing to do. That's, I mean, that's the freelancer lifestyle. I mean, you've got it made. Uh, I I end up pouring a lot of that energy into like my own thing, which is good too. But uh, it's, it's the reason, you know, you you don't see me at, uh, you know, IGN Polygon and stuff. Uh, There's, there's not nearly enough of those calories going into impressing other editors and stuff. So it's, it's a balance everybody has to find. I think. No, I mean, every day is a different, a new balance. Every day is a new day. And we were talking earlier about, you know, pitching articles. One thing I found constant and other, I've talked to other writers online and freelancers and they seem to have the same thing. The piece that might be your favorite to write is almost never the one that's the most popular. Yeah. And the one that's the most popular is the one that took the least amount of work. Yeah. Oh yeah. I can tell you. And <laughs> it's like, why is that the case? I don't know. But like my most popular thing was on the front page of Reddit. It was a review of Jurassic Park three. I did for talk film society. Um, that I wrote well half awake at six in the morning before going to work and it has tons of spelling mistakes and it's not <laughs> very good. And somehow it made the front page of Reddit and I was getting all these messages about it. Um, so you never know what will pop off and what won't. Yeah. And uh, I, I was making a metaphor to someone. It's like that movie it at the beginning where they're, they're making the wax uh, sailboat with wax and paper and they send it down the river in the rain and maybe it'll survive at the end of the street, or maybe the uh, Pennywise the Clown will take it with his claws and eat it in the sewer. Because <laughs> once you make something, it's out there. You have no control over what people will say about it, uh, nor should you 
really get that that worried about it unless it's something that'll get you sued, which I suppose is always possible. That's that's true. That's always a valid concern. Uh, you're right, though. My my two top earners have been uh, like 3.30 a.m. I noticed a couple of my tweets and photos about when we went to the last Aladdin's Castle in um, in here in Illinois, about three hours from here. That Those tweets went viral, so I very quickly, on my phone at like 3 in the morning, wrote up a post uh-huh. like detailing the story about like, here's how my family all piled in the car and drove three hours went to this tiny dying arcade in this dilapidated uh, mall and I hope you enjoy it. And that's been the most popular thing I've probably ever written. And then hmm. my other big thing was just letting my Facebook account get hacked <laughs> and, oh. and huh. my ads on the website ended up earning. I earned more from that article than the hacker did by taking over my credit card on my Facebook account. So take that. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So those, which is just to say, you do not know what's going to hit the jackpot ever. So, yep. So, uh, as we sort of close things out, tell people, uh, direct people's attention anywhere you want. Sure. Um, my website is matwbt.com. That's where I have links to my books. Uh, I should really update the article section. That's kind of out of date. And uh, if you go to Amazon and try to figure out all the letters in my name, you can find my author page on there. But matwbt.com, you can hear my dogs in the background, uh, <laughs> is the best place to, to go. Also on Twitter, uh, matwbt, it's the same handle there. And my podcast, uh, SequelCast 2 and Friends, is at sequelcast2.com. It's part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. And I got to be on Retronauts recently on their uh, History of Koei Games episode, which was a lot of fun. Nice. Uh, cool. Well, uh, thanks for doing this. It's always fun. And uh, we'll for sure have you back in soon so we can go over the next set of things you did. And uh, I'll let you get back to the dogs. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, Todd. All right. See you. All right. Big thanks to Matt. Always fun to have him on the show. Check out his website. If you enjoy Game Dev Breakdown, you can check out show notes at CodeWritePlay.com. My book, Inside Video Game Creation is on uh, Amazon right now in a variety of formats, whatever you like, and uh, consider rating and reviewing the podcast. That really helps us in ways you can't even imagine, costs you nothing. Hit follow on Spotify. We're so close to a thousand followers on Spotify. I think we've got, I think we've got 12 or 11 to go, something like that. So uh, Matt, what's up on the streams? Streams will be back for blood tonight. Giving that a go, test run on that. Hopefully, it gives us the Left 4 Dead feels. Uh, I do believe there will be more Call of Duty since the new season, and Battle Pass just dropped for that. And if we get real frisky, we'll jump back into some Minecraft dungeons. And you can find me at twitch.tv forward slash OHC Mr. Day. And that's all my socials as well. So please come on by. Trying to hit that 150 follower mark for this year before the year's over have like six or seven to go we're really close if we break it we'll extend it another 25 so come hang out cool so uh watch matt play back for blood last night somehow yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and check out his uh, watch his twitter feed for the streams he's always very good about letting you know what's going on so uh all right for code right play and game dev breakdown todd mitchell here matt hill there and uh thanks everybody see you next week